Hello, everyone. This is John Allen. I am the editor of Crux, your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism, and the host of this show, Last Week in the Church. Now, this is the show where we kind of raid the fridge news-wise, take out some leftover news from last week, throw it on a little skillet, sprinkle on some, some secret spices and our special Crux brand secret sauce, Serve it up piping hot. I, by the way, I am rocking my University of Kansas sweatshirt today because although by the time you see this, we'll know who won last night's national basketball championship in America. I don't know that now as we film it, so I am still exuding my rock chalk Jayhawk spirit. Here's what we've got on the rundown for you this week. The war in Ukraine rages on, and it's possible President Vladimir Zelensky may be getting a new visitor. Pope Francis himself will discuss. The Pope spent last week meeting with representatives of indigenous nations and persons in Canada. He said the two famous words, I'm sorry. We'll talk about where things go from here. The Vatican's trial of the century keeps trucking along this week. And finally, the Pope did a weekend not with Bernie's, but rather in Malta, and we'll talk about what came out of that. All of that and more is waiting for you, so please stick around. Well, listen, happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday, April 5th, of the year of our Lord, 2022. This today is the day when the Vatican trial of the century resumes here in Rome. But that's hardly the world's biggest story. That, instead, continues to center on the unfolding drama in Ukraine, where the world awoke on Monday to discover fresh reports of civilian atrocities by Russian forces in Ukraine, but also new reports of surprising success in terms of the Ukrainian resistance, remains unclear, I think, pretty much to everyone, what Russian President Vladimir Putin's ultimate objective in Ukraine is, other than, well, just not liking Zelensky or the present regime there. But ultimately, what Putin hopes to accomplish remains obscure. In the meantime, the world continues to galvanize to show solidarity with the Ukrainian cause as much as possible. Vladimir Zelensky is becoming the sort of where's Waldo figure of global events. Where did he pop up over the weekend, albeit in video link form? No less august a venue than the American Grammy Awards, which is, you know, I don't know this for sure. I have not done my Google research, but I'm going to guess this is the first time a Ukrainian chief of state has ever made a cameo at the Grannies. And I think it just tells you how much a significant chunk, anyway, of global opinion has sort of coalesced around the Ukrainian cause. Now, as part of that push to show support for the Ukrainians in every way possible, a number of delegations have been making their way in and out of Ukraine to meet Zelensky and, and to sort of plant the flag and to show their support. In the midst of all of that, there has been conversation from the very beginning about whether one of those 
major world leaders who might consider an outing to Ukraine would be Pope Francis. Now, even though the war has been underway for basically a month and Pope Francis still has yet to allow the words Vladimir Putin to escape his lips, in every other possible way, he has made it clear how appalled he is at what Russia is doing in Ukraine and how much he wants the war to end. However, he has not, of course, yet gone to Ukraine. The question is, will he? And he took that question on the way to Malta over the weekend. And he said something that I think many people weren't expecting, which was, well, it's under consideration. Now, this is Pope Francis, right? You understand. So you, you, you can't necessarily invest too much in the particular verbal formula he employs. If this were, say, Cardinal Pietro Perolin, the Cardinal Secretary of State of the Vatican, the ultimate diplomat who measures every word he speaks like it were an ounce of purified gold, and so is extremely careful. If he said a trip is in our consideration, that would mean there were teams of gnomes in the Vatican gathered around tables running logistics and making plans and so on. When Francis says it's under consideration, that's more akin to, well, at least I'm thinking about it. Doesn't necessarily mean that there are any present plans. Doesn't mean it's going to happen next week. And in fact, on the plane on the way back to Rome two days later, Francis gave a longer version of this answer, which put a sort of question mark at the end of the sentence, basically saying, you know, well, I'm not sure it's going to be possible and there are lots of considerations, but nevertheless made it abundantly clear that he would like to go and, and certainly isn't ruling it out. So I think where we are at this point is we can say Pope Francis would like to go to Kiev. Undoubtedly, after he said it's under consideration, it now is indeed under consideration. Whether the logistics and security dimension of all of this will make it possible is anyone's guess. All right, moving on. We might as well deal with Malta because that was the, that was the setting for the folks' comments on Ukraine. And it is, I suppose, telling that the only real headline to come out of about 36 hours in Malta had to do with another part of the world entirely. That is to say, this was never destined to be a trip that was going to make international headlines. This is more a trip for domestic consumption, that is, for the local population in Malta, which is, of course, one of the most Catholic countries on earth in percentage terms, sort of neck and neck with the Vatican City State for the percentage of the population that is actually Catholic. About 500,000 people all in, so not a particularly large country, but nevertheless, given its location and the role it has played in Catholic history, it's an important one. And Malta also has been a frontline nation in the Mediterranean for the migrant and refugee crisis that has been cresting in, uh, in Europe for the better part of five years now. And so it was a nation that was, in a way, an ideal venue for Francis to roll out a kind of, well, greatest hits version of some of his core social, political, and cultural themes. So the importance of welcome, 
of humanity and dignity in the treatment of migrants and refugees. Pope Francis often invoked the biblical story of St. Paul being shipwrecked, shipwrecked on Malta in the welcome that he was given by the Maltese people as a kind of metaphor for the sort of welcome that Malta today ought to be willing to extend to migrants and refugees. Uh, beyond welcome for migrants and refugees, the Pope also talked about the importance of dialogue, the importance of peace, and the importance of essentially building a, a loving and inclusive, concerned civil society. All themes that are very familiar, of course, from Pope Francis. But again, it was the first time that the Maltese had the chance to hear it in first person. Two other things of note, I think, from the Malta trip. One, throughout, we saw a Pope Francis who was visibly limping throughout the trip, experiencing what was quite clearly fairly agonizing pain in his knee, which made his movements quite difficult. And often there was a kind of grimace on his face when he would maybe land the wrong way on a particular step. I made it clear when the Vatican canceled a couple of the Pope's public events recently and attributed it to knee pain, they weren't kidding that knee pain is a real thing, and it was on full public display uh, in Malta. The other is that when, when Francis went to a center for migrants and refugees to spend some time with them, it's called the John Pope, well, the John the 23rd, reference, of course, to Pope John the 23rd, the John the 23rd Peace Lab in Malta. He was greeted by the 91-year-old Franciscan priest who founded the lab and who still runs it to this day. And there were these marvelous little scenes of the Pope and this 91-year-old Franciscan walking down the lane through this little courtyard that led into this small platform they had erected for the Pope and the migrants to meet. And it was quite, it, it, it was not really clear to anyone who was having the harder time <laughs> navigating that small space. But yet, this was a marvelous sort of postcard of fidelity, if you think about it. Two geriatric men, one a known engineerian and one an octogenarian, and yet still going strong, trying to defend the human dignity of these people who everyone else seems to have conveniently forgotten. It was sort of a happy Catholic moment, to be honest, to witness that scene. All right, we shift gears. Then to Canada, the Pope spent much of last week meeting with a delegation of leaders of indigenous nations and also survivors of mistreatment at church-run residential schools in Canada who were in Rome for a series of meetings with senior Vatican officials and with the Pope himself. He met with elements of these delegations on four different occasions. We talked about this last week. This was extremely unusual. The Pope uh, almost never gives this kind of face time to anyone. Certainly visiting heads of state don't get it. And so it was an indication of the seriousness with which Pope Francis and the Vatican wished to approach this. The backdrop, of course, being this legacy of mistreatment of indigenous persons in Canada at church-run residential schools in the 19th and early 20th centuries. 
basically what had happened is the Canadian government had forcibly removed children from their indigenous homes and placed them in these schools, these residential schools, which they had contracted to the church. The idea being trying to civilize them. However, what happened in too many cases is that they were subject to various forms of abuse, physical, sexual, psychological, and, and you can also add cultural. A commission in Canada in 2005 actually found this a form of cultural genocide. For some time now, the church has been trying to apologize and to do justice to the people who experienced that abuse. And this, this, these delegations in Rome was the, the latest chapter in that. Now, these delegations had come with an agenda, first of all. They wanted an apology from Pope Francis, and we should note they got it. At the end, the Pope apologized without reservation to the, the people who were on hand and to all who had suffered this abuse, and added how the indignation and the shame he felt at the, the revelations of what had, what had happened to these people and, and the church's role in that. Now, the indigenous also wanted a commitment from Pope Francis to come to Canada, to make a trip to Canada, and to deliver that apology there as well so that the whole nation could hear it. Pope Francis delivered on that front as well, indicated he wants to make this trip, joking he would like to come when it's not so cold. And all indications are, and we heard this during the week from some of the representatives of the indigenous that may well happen in July. So this was, in a sense, a down payment on a papal apology and a papal trip to come, most likely set for sometime this summer. A footnote to all of this, last week on this program, you may have heard me say that at these residential schools, some of the survivors were found in unmarked mass graves. Now, several of you in Canada have pointed out to me since that although that was the initial media storyline about some of the discoveries in Canada, in fact, so far as we know, there, there have not been any mass graves discovered. We're talking about individual graves. Whether they were marked or not is a little bit difficult to ascertain at this point because of indigenous sensitivities about disturbing the, the remains of people who have died. Now, none of this makes a great deal of difference, of course, in terms of the legacy of abuse and the need to do justice for that. But of course, we're in the news business and details matter. I didn't get those two details right. And so for that, I apologize. Finally, this week, we end with the Vatican's trial of the century. This, this trial with 10 different defendants and a handful of corporate entities, including for the first time a cardinal of the Catholic Church and an Italian cardinal, Angelo Becciu, which rolled on last week and will roll on this week, all of it centering on their role in a $400 million London property deal gone horribly wrong. This past week, we heard from an Italian Monsignor, a former mid-level official in the Vatican Secretary of State by the name of Monsignor Carlino, who, as I've noted before, has my sympathy because in Italian, the word Carlino means pug. My wife, Elise, and I say hi, Elise. 
Elise is behind the camera doing bang up work as well as Elise and I have two little black pugs, Augusto and Jill Samina. So anybody who evokes memories of our dear pugs is okay on our book. Anyway, Monsignor Carlino gave his testimony. The only real news flash to come out of it was he confirmed something we basically already knew, which is that Pope Francis himself had green-lighted the negotiations that led to the payments to Italian financier Gianluigi Torzi that are now considered part of the criminal conduct at the heart of this trial. Not exactly dispositive, although it does raise the question of how exactly anyone in the Vatican could have committed a crime paying Torzi this money when the Pope himself told them to do so. The, the other little tidbit to take out of out of Carlino's testimony, uh, is that he emphasized that at every step, he never did anything without the authorization of his superiors. He cited a saying in the Secretary of State, which goes like this, chi ubedisce non felice. Basically, what that means is, he who obeys cannot make a mistake. And if you want to know everything you ever needed to know about the culture of obsequious clericalism that sometimes reigns in the Vatican, there you go. This week, we're expecting two key moments. Today, the hearing that will take place in the Vatican Tribunal will focus on, among others, Rene Brulhart, the former Mr. Fixit, who is the head of the Vatican's Information Authority world-class anti-money laundering expert. He once, as the vice chair of the Egmont Group, helped restore Saddam Hussein's private jet to the people of Iraq. He was considered a symbol of the Vatican's seriousness of the cleanup efforts. But now he is in the dock. We will see if the Vatican actually has any evidence against him. On Thursday, we will hear testimony regarding the somewhat salaciously titled Cardinal's Dame, that's an Italian laywoman by the name of Cecilia Marogna, who who describes herself as a kind of humanitarian 007, someone who does security and consulting secret missions for humanitarian groups, who was also a close advisor to Beichu. Beichu had refused to testify about their relationship, citing pontifical secrecy. Pope Francis has now given him a waiver. We'll see what Beichu has to say. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for spending part of your Tuesday with us over the course of the next seven days. Stay safe, stay healthy, and although it's too late for you to actually act on this advice, nevertheless, if any of my mental telepathic energy reaches you before it's too late and you you receive one of my impulses on Monday, please, tonight, Watch the NCAA championship game between the University of Kansas and North Carolina and cheer for my beloved Jayhawks. Rock Chalk Jayhawk, baby. We'll talk to you next week.